It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Welcome back, everybody. It's great to have you here. Man, I'm excited about today's show. Uh, We have uh, one of our regular contributors, Norm Blumenthal. Norm Blumenthal is an attorney for workers and consumers, selected as one of the top attorneys in Southern California. Also, Norm was inducted and recognized as one of America's most trusted lawyers in the employment area. Norm Blumenthal has been a regular contributor here on Money for Lunch for several years. Very insightful, very much um, tells it as it is. And uh, I'm excited about today's topic. He's going to walk us through some stuff that's happening. But uh, I'm kind of a legal nerd, and I like to understand how things work. I like to know how our government works. I like to know how our legal system works. And, and, and uh, recently, the Supreme Court has made some headlines. And, you know, the Supreme Court is the top court of our land. And a lot of the stuff that they do is done – uh, secretly, sometimes I mean, you can publicly uh, attend some of these uh, uh, hearings, but the 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 way they get the way that they reach their opinions is sometimes uh, uh, not understood. Anyway, I'm excited. Norm Blumenthal, welcome back. Nice to be back, Bert. Um, yeah, I think this is a, maybe a time to give a little history. I. Uh, started out my out of law school. I did clerk in uh, Illinois uh, while my the judge I clerked for was on the Court of Appeals, and later became an Illinois Supreme Court judge. So I, I have a bit of an insight as to uh, what's going on because it it doesn't really change on the appellate courts uh, where you are. You hold the oral arguments, um, then the uh, judges vote. And then um, the senior judge selects uh, who's going to write the opinion. So I'll give you a, a little bit of a history of a case that I did, kind of s- sums up what, what can happen, what might happen, because right now um, in Roe v. Wade, it's not the final decision and things can change. Uh, we had a case in Illinois on um, a wrongful death case and in Illinois at the time. Um, when you, they, you learned in law school that if you you know if you hit somebody in an accident, be sure to uh, go back and 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 run him over again so he would die because th- then you'd only have a wrongful death suit and uh, they couldn't collect punitive damages. And in this case, it was a bus with uh, really bad equipment, and a little boy was uh, caught in the uh, you know how. The, bat, the doors open on buses and close automatically. He sure. was caught in the in the rear um, part and um, was dragged along and, and run over by the bus and, and died. Uh-huh. So the uh, a family sued for uh, punitive damages for, because the bus wasn't well maintained and uh, you know obviously it was a wreck. So um, my judge got assigned the opinion. And he said, I want you to write an opinion that, uh, you know, the law in uh, Illinois is uh, such that you can't collect punitive damages in a wrongful death case. And so I was the clerk then, and I really didn't like <laughs> like that to write that decision. It's not, you know, you don't want to be the one writing that decision. I didn't like the decision, didn't like anything about it. So 
So I wrote about a one-page um, brief for him, turned it in, and um, you know, within you know a month or so, he got gets back to me and says, you know, here I'm giving you this brief back. I'm, I'm not going to publish this brief. I want you to write the decision as to why you can't collect punitive damages in a wrongful death case, and um, and then say everything you want to say about why this law is bad. But in the end, we're going to have to hold that way because the uh, higher court has said that there's no law in Illinois that allows you to collect punitive damages. So I went back, and this time he actually had to use books, and went back into the what used to be called, probably people don't know about today, the stacks. And those are old uh, books that people don't look at again. And I went all the way back to Roman law, Lex Aquila, I remember, in Roman law. And the reason you couldn't collect punitive damages uh, um, when someone died is because the citizen was was such that they were uh, there could be no value placed on that life. You know, it's beyond monetary. Now, if it was a slave, yeah, you could because that's property. But as to a person, no. And so that followed all the way through to the common law. And we had to hold, you know, with the citing all this history, that despite uh, the logic that um, pervades that you should be able to collect, because there is no statutory right in Illinois, that logic couldn't hold and you couldn't collect. So things happened, and the reason we did it is because it went to the Illinois Supreme Court, and eventually they decided with basically the insurance companies and said, yeah, that's right, until the legislature changes the law, this is the law in Illinois, and you can't collect punitive damages. So that was a lesson for me that, uh, you know, courts follow the law, and uh, sometimes the law is not logical. Um, and what, what we're seeing now uh, in, the, in the Supreme Court is instead of being a, a decision based on prior precedent and logic, we have a politicized Supreme Court. And we're up there now in a, in a case um, uh, in California about um, the Private Attorney General Act. I'll get to that in a minute. But I think everybody's you know, looking in terms of Roe v. Wade. Is there a chance that this could change? And uh, I think there is a real chance that... Uh, uh, Chief Justice Roberts can convince uh, one of the uh, other uh, five that are, are, are going to overturn Roe that, you know, this is not what we should be doing. You know, we shouldn't be a political tool. And that, uh, you know, despite the position of, the political position that life begins at ince- um, inception, uh, that's really... And based on religion, that's really not the facts. Uh, the facts are life does not begin at its inception. It begins at some point of viability when um, there's the formation of, of the body. And on the other extreme, in, in the uh, Old Testament and Jewish religion, life didn't begin until the child had his first breath. So there's there's that tension in religion but religion is not the law and religion is not facts 
And religion is just what people want it to be. And so what they've done is they've turned this court into a court of religious zealots who want to follow um, their religious beliefs and their conservative beliefs to the exclusion of what may be the law. And what has been the law for the last 50 years is that a woman has the right to choose uh, when this embryo is not viable and, and it's still in the woman's body at some date. And 15 weeks, I think, is, is now the accepted date when, um, given the current state of medicine, when uh, by that time, by uh, uh, three, four months into the process, um, then that at that point in time, um, the decision should be made. And that, you know, that could, that's what Robert's, where he is on it. And so the hope is, is that he will convince one of the other justices uh, on the far right to, to follow the law that it's been around for 50 years and not to uh, follow um, uh, religious zealousy that um, is inconsistent with both logic, law, and fact. So it, it can happen, and so I want to you know, let, let that be known uh, that it can happen. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and here's the deal. Look, uh, this is my personal view on abortion. 90% of the time or 95% of the time, abortion is probably not the best course of action. However, it's not my place to judge. Uh, it is not. This is, this is a, a very serious decision that ultimately is going to be between the mother or the female and her beliefs, her religious beliefs, whatever. She has to reconcile her decision with herself and her God, okay? Uh, and, and, you know, there's a lot of people out there who, who make this, you know, who, who find it absolutely abhorrent uh, about, about abortion, but they have no problem bombing a clinic and killing doctors and nurses. Uh, so I, I've never, I've never been able to make sense of that. And then the other problem I have, Norm, is that that uh, here in America, anyway, it's it's very difficult to uh, what do you call it uh, to uh, adopt a child. I, I've interviewed several mothers who who uh, made the decision to have an abortion and one of their one of their biggest fears was that if they placed their child in the government system uh that the child could be neglected and or abused or you know and 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 there's there's a lot of history to support that fear and so they felt that uh abortion was better than subjecting their child to all sorts of uh possible uh neglect or abuse so uh but but ultimately you know that's kind of my take on that, uh, but but um, when you say that this Roe uh, decision may possibly be changed, you're, you're specifically talking about the. Uh, you just mentioned his name, and I blank on it, but uh, um, uh, that that he might be able to be persu- he might be able to persuade the other judges to change the ruling. Is that what you're thinking? 
Yeah, the, and it happens. Actually, um, it, it's happened when Roe first came down. Um, it was the first thought was is is they were not going you know way back when 50 years ago they weren't going to change the law but as they started writing the decision uh they said you know just the logic of it is is that women need the right to choose most uh abortions are married women who have children who husband and wife can't afford to have any more children Right. And 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 they all happen within the first 15 weeks. I mean, it's a it's a quick decision. It's embryotic. It's, nothing's formed. It has no you know brain and you know nothing's there. It's just it's just a bunch of cells put together that's starting the formation. So, um, and I'm sorry for everybody that believes it's different, but that that's where where it is, and right. that's that's medicine. I mean, it's not uh, religion. It's medicine. It's fact, and and that's why they've set it up. The problem was, is you know, the law is is a pendulum. It swings, and it swings too far one way. I mean, yep. they were letting you know, they were taking uh, taking it to too far an extreme under row where uh, after viability they were having abortions and, and upholding that, and so that I think was what really upset everybody and you know got the movement going and now we're going back in the on the pendulum too far the other way where we're just going to give up and and um and we're going to uh, all no abortions are legal and you know leave it up up to the states and eventually it could be like prohibition with with alcohol it could pass a law and there could be no abortions allowed in the entire country and that's a real possibility if enough republicans get elected to the house and senate that could be a law they're going to pass and uh you know will all the states um that are are you know all the blue states in any event california included their law would not be uh, to allow for any type of uh, termination of pregnancy, the, the woman's right to choose would be eliminated, which is way, way off the charts. I mean, it's going to be way, way off the charts in these states that are going to uh, pass these laws. But then to say that all the other states uh, can't have it is 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 just too far an extreme. And there, there has to be some middle ground, and that's what the court courts are supposed to do: is be logical. And uh, follow the law. And when you're in a Supreme Court, you can make changes like Brown versus Board of Education, where they ended separate but equal and said that people of, of color deserve the same rights as people that, who are white. And now they're coming around and, and what we had in Buffalo, people are, there's, there's crazies out there that are taking their, their calling from the Internet that are doing illogical and harmful acts to others for no reason. And so this this is what's happening when you politicize the court system. And that's what's happening now um, in this court. It's extremely, the U.S. Supreme Court is a political tool. Right. And there's got to be a way rationally that we can change it. Um, and I don't see it. But you always hope that eventually that that the, the being on the court that they'll see it. But they, these are hand-picked zealots on the court, and uh, we're going to have to suffer through 
and they're they're sticking their nose into other places they shouldn't be. Like in California, we have an employment uh, law, the Private Attorney General Act, and we've talked about this before, and it's now up in the U.S. Supreme Court. We have a, a case right behind the Viking case uh, uh, called SHIP, and in the SHIP case, you know, we we called we were called to put in briefs for that case you know ship versus green is our client and just to give you an idea of 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 the supreme court you know sticking the nose in places they don't belong the uh, ship case and the private attorney general act only concerns people in and businesses in california has nothing to do with any other business in any other part of the country. No one else has a private attorney general act um, except California. And the, and the court knows it, but what it's trying to do is through the arbitration provision that employers put into their contract, what it's trying to do is, is force people, force the state, not just people, the state of California will not be able to enforce their uh, employment labor laws through the Private Attorney General Act, and, and in, in doing that, it makes open season on employees because the state of California is just not equipped, and, and no state in the country is equipped to enforce their labor laws. They just don't have the personnel. And what ends up happening is there's tremendous abuse on wage and hour uh, violations uh, across the country, including California. And California, just to give you an idea of the scope, has a, uh, 1.6 million businesses exist in California. And uh, in 2019, the state had enough resources to conduct uh, a little over 1,700 inspections. That's inspections. And so you can't even begin to, to worry if you're an employer where you tell your employees, look, you know, I want you to come in early and before you clock in, I want you to get your computer all set up, and, you know, get ready to go. And, uh, you know, I really can't have you take that 10 minute rest break morning and afternoon. So that's an extra 15 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes, uh, for the rest breaks. And, you know, why don't you just bring a bag lunch? You eat at your desk and keep working, and that's an extra 30 minutes. So you, but you got 15, you got uh, 25, you got 30, you got 55 minutes. And, you know, I want you to clock out before you uh, uh, start getting off your computer and winding it down. So you get about an extra an hour plus per employee for free. All right. And And that's what's happening across the board. And if there's no... Fear, you know, it's all greed, as we say, you know, and you have to create some fear in these companies that if they try to cheat to compete, there's people out there, there's private attorney generals that, that can come in for the state and you'll be have a penalty. Right. And so you put some fear into them. Otherwise, it's just all greed. And so. The, the U.S. Supreme Court, the California Supreme Court, has said that this law is fine, that it's uh, enforceable, and that there's no right to uh, stop it through arbitration. Now, we have the court, and as in the oral arguments for Viking, you know, Judge Breyer's up there, and he's going like, 
You know, the argument of uh, the counsel for the uh, company, it's a catch-22. You want to tell him that you can't bring the um, PAGA claim in arbitration, and you also want to tell him that he can't bring the PAGA claim in court. So where can he bring the PAGA claim? Well, he can't. <laughs> That's what they're telling the court, and the, and the court's buying this. And there's a real chance that this will be the decision of, of the court. But that shows you the extreme of this court in all respects. And the reason we have all this gun nonsense is is because in the uh, Shelby case against D.C., they took away the rights of, of local and state authorities to uh, have gun control. So everybody's got a gun. And you get these kids, 18 years old, or younger, who are, you know, have automatic weapons and uh, shouldn't. Uh, and so, we, we, you know, we have a big problem, and the genesis of this problem falls right in the lap of a radical Supreme Court, a very much radical right-wing reactionary group. They have uh, five of them on the court now. They have the majority themselves. And they're going to basically make this country a very frightening place to live in. And if we have a, a Senate and a House that are, are Republican, it's going to be a, a frightening place to live in, even in states that are that are blue. Yeah. Well, and, and, and this is kind of what it reminds me of. Um, you know, it's not as bad uh, – it's not as bad as it used to be, and I could be wrong. You're you're more in, in uh, more in touch with that space, but you know when you look at the history of unions and why unions, uh, you know, at one point they were necessary and they did a lot of good. They protected workers, and then of course uh, you know, they they uh, were more concerned about their power and their influence than the workers. But putting that aside for a sec, at one point. In America, somebody decided that chaining children to dangerous machines was a great way to operate a company. And all you have to do, if you don't believe me, is just Google it, chained children, USA, and you'll see tons of articles and pictures of children who were literally chained to these machines, and they had to work whatever it is. I think they had to work like 10, 12-hour days. And this is one of the reasons the government stepped in and said, look, that's not what, that's not good for America. We got to get these kids in school. We, we, we got to, the, the way to, to break the chain of poverty is through education. So we're going to set some limits as to when a child can, can work. Now, uh, fast forward, uh, uh, whatever, a couple of decades, and you had companies who were literally putting their workers at risk. Uh, I remember specifically reading articles about how truck drivers back in the day were, you know, they were expected to literally drive, you know, 24, 24-7. They, they were given no rest breaks. They, there was no concern for their health. They had to, you know, they had to take uh, tons of caffeine or uppers or whatever to stay awake and, and get that haul from point A to point B. And if they didn't, they were penalized. Sometimes they lost their wage even though they worked those 10 or 20 hours, right? And so 
you, uh, again, unions stepped in and said, hey, that's not right. Not only is that not the way you treat a human, but it's unhealthy, it's dangerous. And, and so these laws came in uh, to protect not only the laborer, but also to protect the citizens at large. Because let me tell you, uh, you don't want somebody falling asleep behind the wheel, especially when it's an 18-wheeler fully loaded and 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 – all of a sudden, they fall asleep at the wheel, and they're going to kill, crush, maim people. And so, Bert, yeah, like, and, and put 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 this this in the the equation because you you have it. But the Supreme Court in two thousand in two thousand in nineteen oh four, when there was all the children working, came in and said it's not for the federal government to require to take away children from working it's up to each state and so what ended up happening the state's rights thought this is what was the problem from the beginning not until the 1930s was that changed and that you That's came amazing. in to to yeah you came into ending child labor uh, laws you ended up having minimum wage because after the the, the crash uh, they realized that this was no way to run a country, and and I like I said that the pendulum swings back and forth. That was the extreme, and and this court is trying to go back on that extreme. It's going back on that way, saying it's up to each state to decide what it wants to do um, with regard to a woman's right to choose, and right. so it's the same thing. And so now, what women in these states where they have no right to choose, are going to go back to the due to unsafe um, uh, you know, termination procedures, abortions within unsafe conditions, with, and, and you know, women are going to get hurt. Yes. And so it's, just, it's an awful thing because there's no logic to these decisions. All there is is zealousy. And, you know, and, and when you have that, when you're a zealot, you always end up making bad decisions because you aren't, you aren't thinking, and then it'll go the other way when it gets real bad. And, and, don't, and don't kid yourself. They're, they're still out there on the far right that believe the child labor laws are unconstitutional, federal child labor laws. And your second point on the National Transportation Act we had cases where we were bringing claims for protection of, of truck drivers from having to, to work through um, their brakes, you know, where they're, where they're sitting in their truck for hours on end before they can get their load. They, that wouldn't count against their driving time. And so we ended up having that, but then that was struck down because they said it was preempted by the National Labor Relations a national federal transportation act, but no place in it is there is there that's such a rule. So it works both ways, but they're they're playing it where one businesses are the most protected, and two the religious zealousy is protected. And the unions, you know, to to your point, the unions came in because of how radical it had become. The unions were the only way with the federal uh, national labor relations act to get some protection for the employees. 
you know, because why would an employer pay an employee more money if he didn't have to? Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. And so this is where I think PAGA comes in, well, because back to what you said, look, you have what? how many businesses in California? Like uh, you have 1.6 million. 1.6 million just in California, just in California. And, and so could you imagine how big that department would have to be in order to be able to manage and or regulate 1.5 million businesses? It would be incredible. And, and, and you know, it's one of those things where – this is real simple. If, if a employer is abiding by the law, if an employer is, let's just, you know, treating their employees correctly, they don't have to worry about any of this. Am I right? Yeah, you're not. Well, you're 100% right. And follow one step further. If my competition is cheating to compete and they're not abiding by the law, and and I'm abiding by the law, he has an advantage over me because he's paying less for the same uh, productivity that I'm paying more for. And so it ends up the, the you can't compete. And with, with PAGA, the Private Attorney General Act, by allowing um, uh, grieved employees to, to bring uh, actions on behalf of the state, representative actions, not only... Did the, did the state save the money of having to hire, you know, as you say, thousands of employees and increasing your taxes to pay for them? It turned around by having the Private Attorney General Act and having private citizens bring these actions on behalf of the state. Not only did it not pay for those, those employees bringing the action, the state collected $88 million in revenues in, in 2019 just from the fines that it collected uh, to end the, the violations. And, and then the cheaters, they look over their shoulder and, you know, fear and greed. Well, I guess, you know, maybe I got to comply with the law too because these <laughs> PAGA, PAGA attorneys are going to come and get me and they start complaining. And that's where it all started. Uh, you know, we, we don't want to comply with the law. Judge, you know, help us out here. How about this arbitration provision? Why can't we just get rid of PAGA and you can't bring it in, in a court and you can't bring it in arbitration and we, you don't have to worry about PAGA anymore, guys, in, in any state because we're going to get rid of it through these arbitration provisions. So that's what's happening now, and it's a real shame that uh, this is the kind of court system that we have to uh, put up with, but we're this is what we have right now, and I don't see it getting any better anytime soon. Yeah, yeah. And, and so in this case, uh, in its SHIPT, the SHIPT case, um, yeah. and again, you are hoping to persuade them to do what? When I say they, you're hoping to persuade the court to, just to be clear, to do what? Well, what we want to persuade them to do is is to say that you cannot, in following the law, you cannot bring a representative action in arbitration, and you can't. And 
therefore it has to go in court. What they're doing instead is saying, not only can't you you can't bring it in court because you have an arbitration provision, and you can't bring it in arbitration because you can't bring a, a representative action in arbitration. So they can't have it both ways. That's why it's a catch-22, which Justice Breyer said in oral argument in Viking, and which we have in our um, uh, tag-along case in SHIP. It's the same thing. It, you have to follow the logic. You can't make it a representative action for purposes of not bringing it in court and then at the same time make it an individual action for purposes of not bringing it in arbitration. It's a catch-22. They right. can't have it both ways. And that's what they're trying to do. And they're trying and they're trying to and they've convinced, you know, from judging from oral arguments, there's a good chance they've convinced uh, the five zealots, all of them, that that uh, yeah yeah we'll we'll go along with that. You know you you got to bring an individual PAGA case in arbitration, but there's no such thing as an individual case. By definition, PAGA is your representative of the state. You are not an, an individual representing yourself. You have a separate cause of action for your own damages. This is just for penalties for the state, and it's representative. So if they have a provision that says you can't bring a representative action in, in arbitration, you can't bring a PAGA action in arbitration. So that, therefore, you have to bring it in court. And yeah. that's all we want to do is for the court to be logical. And unfortunately, the courts in regrettably, in a lot of cases, are not logical. No, no. I mean, and, and, and uh, this is why every president does the best they can to fill those – to appoint judges and fill those, those Supreme Court seats with people who favor their ideology. That's, that's – that's just uh, that's the way it's been done forever. Well, it, it actually it hasn't been forever because like uh, the Re Republicans, believe it or not, I mean Brown versus Board of Education, the Warren Court, they were mostly Republicans. Roe versus Wade, they were mostly Republicans. Um, Furman versus Georgia, which uh, abolished the death penalty for a time, they were Republicans, the majority. The Republicans used to appoint judges and Supreme Court judges that were took their oath seriously to follow the law. And then they realized that their their money was with the companies <laughs> and right. they needed to get zealots on that they were uh vetted by the Federalist paper Federalist group, Federalist Society to be zealots for this this right wing cabal. And so they just smart. They literally, this last round, Trump was the, the final icing on the cake. But it it really it really wasn't around before him. I mean, Roberts was the last. Uh, well, Alito was Bush's appointee, and he was pretty crazy too. That's that's what, or he is. That's where uh, he's very 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 far right. And right. It started with Thomas. Thomas was the first one. Um, but it kept going and getting farther right as as it went along. You had Thomas, you had Alito, you had Gorsuch, you had um, 
Barrett and, and Kavanaugh. And that's where we are now. And these are just zealots. And, you know, right. that, and so that's what, what's really changed. And it used to be very different. And uh, it was, you know, but before the period of time when, when um, you had, you know, persons who were there to follow the law, it was a different world. And uh, we have a very, very scary world now in this country in terms of the law. And when they start taking away uh, women's rights uh, to choose, it gets really scary. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I do want to point out, uh, even though you've said it a couple of times, the reality is, is if you and I have enough money, we can 100% change the laws. That's why these billionaires, uh, you know, not only do politicians, uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, woo these billionaires, these massive contributors, but, you know, you hear about the Koch brothers all the time and, and some of the stuff that they're able to do uh, to change the laws in their favor. And and so bottom line is, if, if you and I have enough money, we can absolutely, absolutely change the laws uh, to protect our business or to protect our interests. And, and it's no longer about what's right for humanity. It's about what's right for my pocketbook. Yeah, and, and in doing that, they've attracted the... Um social right wing you know the gun the guns guns and and women's uh, suffrage uh, they've attacked uh, attracted a group that uh, socially um it is is stifling um the rights and it, it makes a scary country when everybody has a gun yeah absolutely absolutely norm we're out of time always good to have you here can't wait to have you back. And, and uh, when would a case like this get a final decision, you think? Uh, in June, uh, I, we expect a decision in, uh, in Viking before the end. And so it's, we'll talk about it then. I'm not too hopeful unless Roberts uh, comes our way. We have a chance, but uh, we'll see. You know, he's pretty pro-business, but he is he is the middle ground but he still doesn't have the majority, but in, in this case, because states' rights are involved, Thomas will probably vote our way. So if we have Roberts, we have a chance. All righty, Norm, we'll see, you in Nor- uh, we'll see you in June and get an update. Thank you so much for stopping by. All right, Bert, always a pleasure. Good stuff there from Norm Blumenthal. Norm Blumenthal is an attorney for workers and consumers. If you have a question, you can reach out to Norm BAM Law CA. That's BAM Law CA. You know, maybe you agree, maybe you disagree, maybe uh, you think we're too liberal, uh, whatever. Give me your thoughts. Give me your ideas. Leave a comment, and let's, let me hear from you. Uh, share this episode. Let's get an intelligent conversation going. Uh, not looking for hate from either side, but can we discuss this in an intelligent way, in a persuasive way, in a way that uh, – doesn't uh, create uh, bitterness and rancor and all that other stuff. So we don't need any more of that. But as always, my friends, thank you so much for stopping by. Please share this episode. Please leave a comment. And remember, you were created. 
Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch. And check out our website at moneyforlunch.com. <laughs>